Lord God, good shepherd, by the leading of your spirit, help us to listen to your voice as we hear your word read and proclaimed. We pray in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Last Sunday, we began our summer mini-series on the book of Ephesians. Now, our translation says it was a letter to the church in Ephesus, but that town name, that town name did not appear in the early copies in the, some of the best manuscripts of this, this book. It's thought to be a letter, an encyclical letter sent around to be shared among the various churches, including Ephesus. This six-chapter book moves from a vastly cosmic picture of God's plan in chapter one to inclusion of believers in that plan in chapter two, from which we'll read today. So listen now for God's word for us in the second chapter of Ephesians as we read starting at the 11th verse. So then, Remember that at one time you Gentiles by birth called the uncircumcision by those who are called the circumcision, a physical circumcision made in the flesh by human hands. Remember that you were at that time without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace. In his flesh, he has made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall that, that is the hostility between us. He's abolished the law with its commandments and ordinances so that he might create in himself one new Humanity in place of the two, thus making peace, and might reconcile both groups to God in one body through the cross, thus putting to death that hostility through it. So he came and proclaimed peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him both of us have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are citizens with the saints and also members of the household of God built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole structure is joined together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are built together spiritually into a dwelling place for God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. Oh Lord, may my words and may our thoughts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Sometimes dividing into two groups is useful. For example, if we want to play a ball game, we divide into a couple of teams. Or next week, next week when we have that fellowship meal, all of us are going to be hungry and we're going to want to get that line to move faster than it's moving. So we'll say, well, y'all go on that side and we'll go on this side and we'll all get up together. 
That's useful. Or sometimes in singing we'll have y'all sing this verse and y'all sing that, this other harmony part. Sometimes that division is useful. But so often dividing into two groups can result into lifelong hurts and grudges and sometimes something worse. Well, take the Hatfields and the McCoys or, or the UNC Duke and Duke fans, donkeys and elephants, baptism by Duncan or baptism by Sprinkling. Well, too often dividing two groups ruins any kind of chance for unity. It may feel cool to be in the in-group, but awful cold if you're in the out-group. The writer of Ephesians is writing to people who were divided into two groups, Jews and Gentiles. They had, they had different heritage, they had different ideas, and neither group had much respect for the other. So it made for a very divided church. When you or I want to focus our reader's attention on a particular part of what we're writing, well, nowadays we might underline it. We might put it in bold. Might put it in italics. Might do all three. Well, some people type in all caps, but you know, that's just rude because it's harder to read and it's like shouting. People do it anyway. <laughs> Well, in Bible days, writers might use a literary device to show that something was important. The writer of Ephesians used one in this chapter 2, we, the section we just read. Now, the Latin term, just for information, the Latin term for that rhetorical device is inclusio. Work that into a conversation this week. <laughs> well, the plain English term, you know, this is kind of like hemicallus versus daylilies, right? Uh, the English term would be called brackets. Either way, it's a way to frame something in writing to show this is important. And our reading from Ephesians has, uh, has an inclusio, I mean brackets. Verse 12 says, remember, you were at that time without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth and strangers to the covenant, no hope and God in this world and so on. So bracket one is aliens and strangers. And then further down, verse 19 says, so now you're no longer strangers and aliens, but citizens. So the brackets are aliens and strangers, strangers and aliens. Makes you wonder, what's in the middle that's so important they put these brackets around it? Well, one thing is a before and after picture. The Gentiles are told, you used to be without hope, without God. You were far off. And now you've been brought near, brought near by the blood of Christ. That phrase, you are far off, recalls the prophecy of healing in, back in Isaiah, where he said, peace, peace, to the far and the near, says the Lord, I will heal them. An earlier verse in that same chapter of Isaiah had instructed, build up, build up, prepare the way, remove every obstruction from my people's way. What obstructions do you and I, do we put in the way of people being at, God, at one with God and with one another? Well, then the Jews were told that the law that had been the dividing wall separating these two groups, that that wall had come down. 
they were all told there's no more them and us, it's just us. We're in this together. Christ is the fulfillment of another prophecy from Isaiah. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of the messenger who announces peace, who brings good news, who announces salvation. That's what Jesus did. Who says to Zion, your God reigns. Christ has proclaimed peace and through Christ both of us have access to the Spirit. Well, the Greek word that gets translated access there refers to the right of free approach to a king. Now, if you and I tried to telephone a president, a king, a queen, or the head of state, you think there's the slightest chance we would get through? I know every once in a while these internet punkers will get through to somebody, <laughs> but most of us couldn't get through. We'd have a better chance of, uh, well, I'd say, Roy Williams and Mike Krzyzewski are more likely to wear Wolfpack Red than that happening. But because of what Christ has done for us, you and I, we have the right to approach Almighty God through the Holy Spirit. Now the 14th verse says that Christ has broken down the dividing wall. In the Jerusalem temple, there was a literal wall dividing the court of the Gentiles, where all of us could go, in the court of Israel, where only the Jews could go. Well, back in the 1800s, archaeologists found an inscription, both in Latin and in Greek, the language is current then, warning Gentiles crossing this boundary could risk death. That divine wall, that, they were dead serious about that. But the writer of Ephesians is not talking about a literal physical wall. He's talking about the hostility between us, a barrier broken down by Jesus. So what hostility walls need breaking down in, in our lives and is holding on to that hostility, is it really worth it? Uh, I knew a brother and a sister who were neighbors. That can be a blessing and sometimes it's not, right? They were neighbors who did not speak to each other for almost a year. It wasn't because of something major. Don't you just know it was the principle of the thing. <laughs> you see, in her garage, the sister had, she had stored a few bales of straw, you know, the kind of stuff you put around the shrubs. You know, unless you're putting white rocks around them, I guess. <laughs> well... The brother took one of those bales of straw without asking. Now, it was not what you call felony grand larceny, more of a misdemeanor, really. But theft of a $3 bale of straw resulted in a wall of hostility between these sibling neighbors for almost a year. I don't know whether he ever apologized at all, or acknowledge what he did. But she eventually forgave him. Well, I'm not going to ask you to say out loud, but is there somebody you owe an apology to, or is there somebody you're nur nurturing a grudge over something as cheap as a $3 bale of straw? The last verse in this second chapter of Ephesians says that after Christ has broken down the wall of hostility, 
proclaim peace. All of us have been joined together and have grown into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are built together spiritually into what they say is a dwelling place for God. And a lot of times we've heard the church like this referred to as God's house. But let me leave you with a few questions. Is your heart, is mine, or our hearts a dwelling place for God? Is your life, is mine, or our lives a dwelling place for God? If we are a dwelling place for God, how are we going to act? What are we to do? Well, the first half of Ephesians, those first three chapters, describe God's cosmic plan and our place in it. In the second half of the book, what's addressed is, what shall we do? How shall we act? Well, next week, we'll move to the... Next week, we have the fifth Sunday saying, come on back, bring some food, enjoy the music, enjoy the fellowship with the Gloryman and Tiffany. And then, in August, we'll focus on that second half of this book of Ephesians. For now... Well, allow a couple of verses in that second chapter we just read from to give us a preview. He writes, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your doing. It's the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one gets to boast, for we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. Thanks be to God. Our benediction is from the book of Ephesians where Paul said, I pray that according to the riches of his, his glory that God may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through his spirit and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love. I pray that he may have that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or even imagine, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations, forever and ever. Amen.